0: Welcome to the Jess Larson Show on innovation and leadership. Today, I'm excited to have Caitlin Bartley, uh, CEO of Cred, on the show. Caitlin, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell people what Cred does.
1: Cred is a niche form of communications agency. So um, what we do is very simple and very focused. We provide thought leadership and we build um, thought leadership through events and speaking. So one side of our business, we call speaker management. Um, We help build strategies and place speakers on stage at industry conferences and events. Um, We do that on an ongoing basis. So that's where um, building brand thought leadership comes in. And we also hope companies host events. So if they want to put on their own events, kind of a la carte full service, we will do everything soup to nuts or just help with whatever the company needs to help fill missing holes um, for their event management uh, resources.
0: Uh, That's fun. Uh, So, I'm kind of excited to talk about the speaking business in general, but I want to go back a little bit. You know, there's a lot of people who will be familiar with the public company, uh, LiveRamp, you know, billion and a half dollar company. Can you talk about your role back back there in the, in years earlier?
1: Absolutely. Uh, blast in the past, going way back. So um, I started at LiveRamp, employee number 16, I'm very, very small. Actually, we pivoted the business and went through like a full rebrand Um to become LiveRamp and of course what the product is today. And that has since evolved over the years. But um, yeah, it was very early on, first marketing hire. Um, so really a jack of all trades, helping with um, branding and messaging, sales support and collateral through to event management, which is how um, the idea for Cred came around, um, helping launch Ramp Up, which is a huge industry conference now. Um, and really, any other supports for marketing and messaging that was needed at that time?
0: Yeah. So you think about this this rapid growth over the years from you being employee number sixteen to a, a billion and a half dollar company now. Um, what kind of observations do you have from that time that kind of informed the way that you're running Cred now?
1: Oh, so many tips and and tactics learned, um, which we still use at Cred today. And you know, and it's been seven and a half years, so. Um, first and foremost is just the scrappiness um, and you know like I mentioned jack of all trades it was really trying to do a million different roles at once and um, really having the leeway and um, the flexibility to try different tactics and, and different marketing um, strategies. Uh, I was lucky enough to work in report to Ornhoff Hoffman, the CEO and he is a mastermind um, of all things but actually marketing. And he's great at, um, really quirky messaging and trying different things to help you stand out. And so I think that really helped, um, my role in being able to be flexible and creative, um, with the types of things that we tried. Um, it also was kind of in the early days of the ad tech martech explosion. So going back to the ad tech events and, um, You know, the trade shows and what happened on the floor, you were trying so many different things to get new leads and new scans and trying um, to get more traffic to your booth. So it's kind of a fun time, too. That was really when things were exploding around having magicians or um, different types of entertainment stop by the booth, um, which is now, of course, standard today. But this is, you know, going back 15 plus years. Um, So, yeah. Creativity and scrappiness is definitely something that um, we learned and we still employ um, at Cred. Transparency, um, just at the company, uh, you know, Oren did a great job communicating exactly where we We were at financially and on track with goals. Um, We try and employ those same things today. Um, And the other thing um, that stuck with me and that was a big challenge back then is And that was when data and personalization was a foreign concept. You know, now it's expected and people love the benefits of what personalization can do for recommending products or the types of emails that you get. But it was something that um, B2B and B2C really, really was not communicated. So more of that education around the benefits of it and why it's important getting over the creepiness of, you know, all the data that's being floating around, um, and so really figuring out how to market to an audience, um, introducing a new concept and getting them comfortable with it. Um, you know, what we do at Cred is also something that is unique and most people have never heard of before. So it doesn't have the creepy element of it, but it certainly is something that we um, have to work to educate people around how it works, the benefit of it, and ultimately the value of why they should invest it.
0: Yeah, no, um, so we had Arn on the show. He's great. And um, I mean, for people, we should back up. For people who don't know what, LiveRamp did and does. How do, how do you sum it up? Uh,
1: they, and it's, like I said, the product has evolved a lot um, and we work with our client now, but um, they are uh, provide data insights um, on people. So it's great for, you know, very valuable for advertisers to be able to understand um, where, you know, based around an email or a cookie. So it's very valuable for advertisers to be able to understand, you know, me as Joe Schmo1234, no personal data, but understanding that I like sports um, and particularly I like soccer and I like to shop and I have an interest in fitness and photography. So that type of data for advertisers that um, are relevant to that is really key. So they can then message me accordingly of, hey, we, you know, understand that you liked and played soccer. So here's a discount for new soccer plates or um, you know, just showing news that's more personalized, the types of interests that I have. Um, so again, the advertising space has evolved a lot um, and there's been a lot more parameters set around privacy and cookies. Um, so they've had to evolve too as the products. But we back then, that's how we started. It was um, personalized data and making uh, what we call offline data online. So offline data would be a postal address, turning it online into a cookie.
0: Um, I'm interested, you know, I feel like these companies get so much press once they pass the billion-dollar mark. I mean, that's why I'm excited to have R and anybody started a company that ended up going over a billion. It's, you know, I'm fascinated. Um, But uh, what are some principles, like as you look at that success story early on, what do you think was going on early that allowed for that kind of trajectory? You know, we hear so much about what Amazon is now, but we don't hear as much about what they were when they had 16 employees, right?
1: First in the market. I mean, no one was doing what we were doing. And so I think the advantage of Libram and their success today is that they got in really early. And so their database um, and their coverage is huge. And that's something that, you know, people can't keep up with anymore. And that's ultimately why, they, you know, the position to, for Axiom made sense because they had a lot of offline data. Libram had a lot of online data. Um, and because LiveRamp was first in the business to really um, start it, no one else could keep up um, so I'd say the early days are yeah, like making a bold bet on something that nobody else does and really capitalizing on that, and then of course you know going after it aggressively to be able to get the success and the traction LiveRamp did
0: That's great well, let's transition to Craig you know uh, uh, to Craig we had um, Matt Hewlett on the show, former client of you guys CEO of a four hundred million dollar company, and I was just talking about like Basically, so our our clients that we make podcasts for, uh, we feel like that's like we call our stuff credibility marketing. So it's funny that you named your company this okay? <laughs> there but, you go. But it's we're like, on the same page. Yeah. We feel like it's kind of just one leg of a stool, though. Like if you think about it, three legs of the tripod here, right? This so, Something consistent like a show, uh, social presence, this kind of stuff. And then for us, a book and then speaking. I mean, that's just now we only do one of those three. Um we we work with partners on other parts, but um I was talking to him about speaking and and just saying, hey, from the other perspective, you know, CEO of a $400 million company, how do you think about this stuff? And he's like, well, I just hired cred. They were great for me. So it's like, okay, we gotta have them on. We gotta find out what their what their secret is. Um yeah. when you think about a CEO who they are looking for to to raise their profile, raise their reputation, to to increase credibility, uh, and they've chosen thought leadership as the method. Um what are some of the principles? What are some of the philosophy that that you bring to a client like that?
1: I mean, you sort of hit the nail on the head. It's um, and when I say you know what we call ourselves a niche communication agency, it's because it is. We're very niche. Um, you know, there's a lot of different elements that are important to be successful in personal branding, and we have um, or help clients with just one of those. And so, you know, that's exactly the value that we provide. If you want to double down on your speaking, it can ripple effect into a lot of different other elements of your personal brand. Um, but our drumbeat and our consistency is, is building that cadence through speaking. And, you know, I really feel like another thing that LiveRamp t- teach me is um, the power of simplicity and the power of really focusing on just one thing. And so that's, you know, when we were building cred, that's what it was. Our, our one thing is building that leadership. Um, We have two ways of doing that, of course, through speaking in events, but if there's so much overlap there that they are effectively um, the same value that we are bringing to our clients. So I think um, the focus of doing that allows us to be very, very good and great experts on what we do. And it also allows us to diversify in the industries that we work. Since we're only talking about events, we can then... Um, keep things interesting and keep ourselves growing and developing by expanding in the types of industries that we work with. It's the same process regardless of the industry, Um, but, uh, you know, it's fun figuring out the different types of um, topics or, you know, what's current in those types of industries, or of course, just working with different types of clients, Um, you know, it stretches and that's how we are able to grow ourselves and keep ourselves um, dangerous as a communications agency, um, but also without losing our focus. And so to your point, you know, we partner with a lot of traditional PR firms and with a lot of other just public relations agencies that do similar things, but not quite speaking. Um, it goes really well hand in hand. We focus on, you know, we stay in our lanes. We focus on what we're doing with speaking. We pass over and connect with them on any opportunities we have. They can then amplify that through other channels, right? And vice versa. When they're working on a big press release, we can try and line up a speaking opportunity around that to kind of double up in, in those efforts. Um, so... For us, our, we've always said that um, we are very simplified in the work that we do, and we have a core focus, and that allows us to go really deep and, and be very valuable to clients. Um, but we recognize, too, as that is one small slice of the pie of the, you know, your entire marketing or um, public relations plan or strategy.
0: You know, though, I feel like it punches so far above its weight. You know, I just finished an interview half an hour ago with the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And he feels like the big reason that he got that job was when he was at Fast Company, he volunteered to be in front of the camera for their new video division that nobody asked him to do. And that kind of comfort let him to be able to start doing keynote speeches. We actually talked about his first speech at bunch, in front of a bunch of entrepreneurs in Scottsdale, Arizona. And he was so nervous. He's like, what am I going to do? He's like, I'm just going to get excited for the second time I do this. So here's like, I don't need to, this doesn't need to be perfect. I just need to get this done so I can get to the second one. And, and then when he was interviewing for this, you know, major position with the CEO, they're like, hey, in addition to all the skills as an editor, we actually think you'll represent the brand well. Look at this video you've done. Look at the speaking you've done. And he feels like that was like kind of the straw that broke the camel's back and, and why he got that job. I think about for us, we, we also own a consulting firm. And like I've had, I had an $8 billion public agency that was a client for like, it was like a five-year contract. And they came up to me after a speech. They're like, oh, my gosh, we've got to bring you in. You know no sales process needed i mean like scope and what are we going to do but like there was no cold calling there was no going to them they came to me right and that that client was actually like a a big portion of our business for a long time so um i would love to hear a few of your client success stories though there's any that come i was gonna say
1: i i love it um and i i i just it justifies everything that we do hearing these types of stories Um, A few weeks ago, I was on a podcast recording with a client and he was saying he really feels like he's a a partner and I operate our turn partner at a a pretty notable and one of the top VC firms, um, arguably in the the country. And um, he was saying that he attributes the fact that he got the role um, to speaking, you know, that gets you exposure. It starts to get more eyes and ears on yourself and what you have to say and um, your expertise and can do a lot of things. So- you know, job placement or career advancement and different opportunities is definitely one success story. Um, A favorite one of ours that we like, we've had a couple acquisitions where, um, you know, company A acquired company B and they met on a panel that we set up or at an event that we set up for a client. And so having that direct attribution back to um, cred and placing them at that event, um, it's awesome. We've also had um, a couple companies that have launched in a new, um, industry, a new product or a new location um, because of an event that we set up. Uh, those are a few kind of that stand out that we keep circle, circulating back through the company to show like, hey, this is really valuable. Um, and, and this is the impact that we're directly having on clients. Um, and that's, you know, a, a big goal of ours. Like our vision is to help shape events through society. And when you think of it, you know, there are b B2B events, but we're all people at the end of the day that are attending these events. And so the conversations and the c- connections that can happen and the advancement that we can make because of whatever the story or you know the piece that a speaker sharing on stage is huge um and so we we do try and remind um ourselves internally of like the role that we're playing you know think of what when that speaker steps onto a stage think of the impact that they can have on the audience and and the impact it can have on their day-to-day and their business, and then circle that back to you and writing that email or connecting with that event organizer to set up opportunity. So it can be really powerful. And of course, that makes our jobs worth it, right? It's so fun to hear those success stories. Um, and it, it keeps us going.
0: Yeah. You know, um, by the way, if you need an extra sales tool, do you know this book, The Formula by uh, the Northwestern professor, Andrew Lazo Barbasi? Have you heard of this one? No. So he and his PhD candidate are writing a paper together. It's about the anatomy of failure. And it's like, how did FEMA screw up during Katrina? All this stuff. Nobody will publish it. And finally, after going all over the place, can't get a post, they finally decide to give up. And they're kind of, you know, sitting around licking their wounds. And uh, he says, well, you want to try again for a different subject? And he's like, the PhD candidate's like, yeah, not if it has the word failure in the title. He's like, oh, you want to write a paper called The Science of Success? And they're kind of joking. They're like. Actually, that would probably get published pretty easy. So they do this longitudinal study. They get thousands of hours of all these different uh, PhDs and people involved in this program. And what they basically find out is that performance is dependent on us. and But success is not. Well, the way they they define success, they say, if success is the rewards your community gives back to you. So in business, that's profits. In science, that would be citations for your papers, things like this, right? They say, like. If you're in something where performance is objectively measured easily, like sports, you basically can't have the highest success without the highest performance, because everybody knows how many matches you won, how many points you scored, and that's what's right. going to get you the per- that's what's going to get you the name recognition, which is going to get you the endorsements, which is going to get you the money, right? In fine art, where it's like you know, movie stars can't tell the piece can't tell the difference between a seventy a seventy dollar piece from the thrift store and a seventy million dollar piece of abstract art, right? Um. It's almost completely dependent on the network. What's the network's opinion of your art? And they explain how the gallery network works and who's spoken for your piece and how the collector game works. And because, you know, because of that uh, lack of objective performance. He says most of us are in between difference there. And so what he says is, if you want, if you want rewards given back to you by the community, it's your performance times... The community's opinion of your performance. And so, basically, if nobody knows you have high performance, uh, you're not going to make a lot, right? Yeah. Or, right. Or, or if everybody knows about you, but it's times low performance, you're not going to do well either, right? Um, but it's just, it's kind of this idea that, like, <clears throat> you can essentially engineer more success. Like, if you already have high performance at something, the key here is probably not even a little bit higher performance. It's probably having people find out. And changing the opinion out there about your performance. And, you know, things like speaking are, are such a key opportunity that how many times have you heard from business people like, I didn't really know much about him, but I saw him speak and I am a fan. And they're they're now a fan for years and they talk about it and they promote it. And and you've now got these like mini marketing people for you because you gave this great speech to help them with their problem and the positioning below. I know I know you'll know all this since you're the expert on it. But you're preaching the choir. But yes, maybe ship copies of this book, the formula, to your to your prospects.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, But you're so right. I mean, it's amplifying it, right? And we actually do that ourselves. You know, we can't work with everybody. Um, You know, everybody likes to speak, but we have to align on goals and make sure that the connections that we have with event organizers and um, the knowledge that we have in the space and you know, and just what we think is going to be a good event for our speaker or our client, they also have to agree. Right. And so before we sign up, we do make sure that expectations are aligned and that we feel like we'll be successful and kind of have a collaborative discussion around. These are the types of events that we're thinking of, you know, pitching you for, we think we can get wins for, do these resonate with you? Do you consider these successful? What does a successful event look like for you? Um, And so that is really important. But usually on those exploration calls or those discovery calls, we call it drinking the Kool Aid. We learn so much about the speaker ourselves and we get so excited. Like, I can't wait to work with this person because, you know, they have such cool stories. Or we go down a rabbit hole of thinking of the types of topics that they can speak about. And then, oh, you know, this other event is another idea. And it just kind of spirals from there. And so it's really fun. So, I mean, we are our biggest advocates for our clients, right? But it's exactly. What you were talking about—the amplification—and you know, having ourselves as fans, and then helping that whoever's in the audience will then create that ripple effect. And and oftentimes that is the case. You know, um, someone will hear or see someone in the audience and ask them to speak at their that they're hosting or another opportunity that they have lined up because um, they were so jazzed and so inspired by um, the speaker session.
0: That's fun. Um, so, thinking through um, these different aspects of what you do. Um, I wonder if we could maybe start with, uh, let's say somebody's listening today and they're, they're trying to understand the space and the, you know, kind of what you said, maybe some more of the nuances of being the right fit for the right place. Like where are some of the, what are the style of events or where are the places that you guys have the deepest relationships or kind of where do you specialize?
1: Because I don't want to say everywhere, but everywhere, (laughs) because like I said, we only focus on speaking and events you know, we can go deep and wide. Um, and so typically what I like to say, um, and we, ha- we have this conversation all the time on prospects calls, you know, there's a big four in every industry. There's the top four events that everyone has heard of that they think what they want to be at. And oftentimes that is a TechCrunch Disrupt or Wall Street Journal Live or Forbes something. Those are all incredible events and they obviously have high caliber and are well known for a reason, right? Um but the amount of times we hear someone say, I want to speak at TechCrunch Disrupt and my target audience is XYZ, it's like, your target audience isn't actually at TechCrunch Disrupt So while wow, that would be a huge win, there are here's 12 other events that actually have the audience that you're targeting and are also talking, you know, about similar topics that you want to be talking about, which is going to help build your brand with this with this particular audience. So um I would say. You know we have great relationships with the top events in majority of industries, but we're also looking at you know what comes up in a Google search on page two, three, and four, um, or what is you know a event that might not necessarily have um, a huge marketing effort and you can't necessarily find it online. Um, so those are the relationships that we've built, and we've built our own database that have all of these events that Are sliced and diced by date, by industry, by location, by contact, um, by feedback—like who's spoken there in the past, what did we think? By type of event, so event could be a huge industry conference with ten thousand people. Um, It can be a one-hour webinar or a podcast recording. Um, So all of those we denote as speaking opportunities that can help build your brand. Uh, And you know, I won't say we're extensive. You know, from that full spectrum in every single industry, but in most of them, we can kind of dabble somewhere from yeah. the bottom to the top um and uh and figure out what's best for the client and If we don't have a relationship, then you know that's new research, and that's where we expand good reason to reach out typically because we are a neutral third party that doesn't necessarily represent the company, and we are backing the speaker and you know can speak to the fact that they're vetted and um, and a great speaker themselves and have a lot to offer to their event, um, that's usually where we can start the conversation and, and build a strong connection with whoever that event organizer might be.
0: Uh, that's exciting. So l- let's talk about, what are some of the first things that you're teaching clients or just advice, anybody listening today, maybe they've done a little bit of public speaking, they're a founder, they're a CEO, they're an investment fund manager something like this. They've done a little speaking here, there, but they're, they're serious and they're like, they would actually like to get to the point where they're making money at speaking you know, and this kind of thing. What are some of the first things that you would uh, teach or advise in that situation?
1: First, we can all be a speaker, right? So a lot of people actually will come to us and say, I don't have a lot to talk about. It's like, okay, well, let's back up. <laughs> first off, you're the CEO and a leader of a very successful company. You've raised this much money. You have this really cool passion project of yours that nobody knows about or that can we can somehow create a story out of. And these aren't necessarily criteria for people we have to work up with. We work with a lot of um, you know either folks on an executive bench or even director level or management VP level people investing in them this is a great um, development tool so to be able to build their own personal brand but their confidence um, and get them more exposure as they work their way up in the company um, you know that's another great tool. so backing up to your original question um. Anyone can speak. A lot of people think that they don't have anything exciting to share, but you absolutely do. It's just spending time brainstorming and developing the story to to craft it to the right audience. Um, the other thing that um, I would say for people just getting started is don't give up. You know, speaking at one event is probably very fun, but that's not going to build your thought leadership. It's the time and time again, speaking in front of very similar audiences with like-minded messaging that builds off from the last of talk that you just did. Um, so stick it with it. And, uh, and with that, if you are going to get into it, then, um, kind of be prepared for the long run and don't think that you're just going to do one and be done. And then the other thing is speaking isn't for everyone. So like we talked about before, you know, speaking is one aspect of building a brand and building that credibility. It's not for everybody. Um, and it, it can be a big time investment. Of course, you know, I think that it pays off, but you have to be willing and to honestly enjoy the elements of speaking um, to be able to do it. And then it won't seem as much like a chore um, or a task. It, it will be something that you're excited to do and more like we've talked about kind of a passion project or a hobby.
0: Yeah. Um, what are some of the what are some of the aspects of the speaking business that people may not understand?
1: There's a lot of data Involved. So we are a people-based company, right? We are a service company and people are our most important aspect. But, um, you know, we have tried to uh, implement data and technology to help us scale as much as possible. Uh, So I'd say that. I'd say there is a lot more that goes into it than, oh, let me just call up, you know, whoever organizes TechCrunch Disrupt and say, hey, you should have this person speak. Um, So there is a lot of kind of crafting and mind messaging to think about. Again, it's not just one talk. It's how can we set up a roadmap for not just your talk next month, but your talk in nine, 12, 18 months time. Um, And then there's a lot of practice. So speaking comes naturally for some people. It doesn't for everybody. And even for the people it comes naturally to, there is kind of a, a, a checklist to go through with you know, um, not only just your behavior, your demeanor with speaking, but the way that you craft your presentation and the way that you set it up, you know, what happens as you advance the slides, how you recap, how you ask questions from the audience. Um, you know, there's a, an art and a science to do it where it feels natural, but it also is you know somewhat scripted to a way that you can make sure that you have
0: like all of the main points that you want. Interesting. Um... It kind of leads me to the next question. Can you tell us a little bit about like a day in the life of those individuals who are choosing the speakers and and speaking the language of these people who this is their event and they're deciding who's going to speak or not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is what we do on the event management side, right? For most of our clients, our bread and butter is helping them organize the agenda and all their speakers um, because of what we do on the speaker management side. We have so much experience working with um, top event Across the world, honestly, that we see how they do it, we see new formats on agendas, we see what topics are really resonating with people. Not only just now, but when you're making an agenda for September of 2023, or you know, nine months down the road. So, um, so I would say the biggest advice, and you know, what's important for um, event organizers is um, understanding. So, if someone were pitching me. They should try and understand what the key goals are for the event. They should really understand the target audience and who you're speaking to. So that way, the topics that you're pitching resonate with said target audience. Um, they should make sure that they connect with the organizer and ask them how you can make their lives easier um, versus just, hey, let me send a pitch to send a pitch. Um what types of theme, like any themes or any types of companies that they're looking to get on the agenda? Do you have any connections with those or any of those your clients? Um, those are great kind of conversation starters. And then the other thing too is, you know, a lot of people will have a process for how they set their agenda and or an idea for how they want to set their agenda. And so just making sure that you abide by all of those guidelines. Um, you know, for example, a lot of our clients um, have... Diversity um, measures or goals of their own for how they want to display the agenda and making sure they have equal representation. That's something that we push for all of our clients if they don't have it, but many clients do. And so take those guidelines and take those aspirations of theirs into account. If you come with a non-diverse session and diversity is very important to them, it's probably not going to get considered, and it's actually then going to show that you don't, you didn't do your research or your homework. Um, so. So, yeah, those are a few tips, I think, to to keep in mind. And we do kind of have those on both sides of the business, right? We, when we can work, um, when the events team can work with the speaker team, we try and keep that in mind of like, make sure you do your research and, you know, bring your best cards to the table.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I actually have a question about that. So um, when you think about that situation where most organizations have an oversupply of white guys, and so you know somebody like me is is maybe getting going for a smaller number of spots because uh you know the supply and demand equation is not in my favor right and yep. any thoughts to like increase the probability that you get hit that highly competitive spot
1: <laughs> um think of ways to diversify your sessions you know if there are a certain number of um sessions that of course you know there there are solo white males who are very successful, and you want to share their stories, right? Um, but then there's other components of ways to get creative. So, can you put a panel together um, with uh, you know other diverse people around you, or um, other other people from your team that you can bring on board as well to the session? You know, it doesn't have to be a panel of four speakers; it can be two or three or four, um, or whatever the format is you decide. But um, you know, can you add something else to the mix to try and diversify yourself? Um, it's probably your best get. I mean, I, I don't have all the answers for that, but, um, you know, and that can be unfortunate, uh, for people. And, you know, I'm diverse in some ways as a woman, but I'm also a white woman. So, um, things that we're working on, but also we feel like it is very important because there are some incredible, um, powerful voices that we're lifting up and that we're bringing to the table that maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to speak or present in the past. So, um, so it's working, you know, we, we love investing in that and it's working
0: really well. Okay. Um, let, let's talk more about for people who don't know what it's like to be on that other side of the table where you're, you're sifting through and you're trying to make the call like, okay, so let's have the diversity, the diversity, diversity issue aside for a second. And it's like, what about the other factors? What are, what's going through the mind of an event organizer? Is are like flooded with pitches? Um, what's that process like?
1: I can tell you, you know, from our events that we host, we do actually review and consider all sessions and submissions. So I know sometimes it can feel like you're going into a black hole, but, um, we, we really do care. Um, and we really do consider everything that is passed uh, through to us. Um, but it's all those things that I just talked about. It's like, did they really do their homework and their research to think about like, how they can make our lives easier you know as an event organizer if you're pitching to an event organizer that's what you're doing you're hoping to make their lives easier by filling a slot on that agenda um, and it is a huge lift if you're able to you know but we're not going to sacrifice the quality and the standards that we have for editorial um, so that would be my biggest um, you, you know what, biggest piece of advice you
0: know what that makes me think of is like we're now to the point where you we' just you know we get because our show went number one for innovation, and like in any given week, we're we're typically between number one and number five innovation show on all of Apple iTunes, we get oh thanks we get <laughs> we get tons of PR pitches right, and it's like deadly obvious that all, all they've done is like taken one second to look up the title of our last episode and say something like we I really enjoyed your episode such and such, and then just straight. Machine gun, the same pitch they've sent to a thousand other podcasts today. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And like, it is sh- shocking. I would call it maybe one in a hundred, maybe one in 200. There's like actually personalized, like genuinely personalized. And those ones, like, even if we don't let them on the show, like those people get a personal message from me back of like, yeah. thank you for taking the time. Uh, I think this approach is going to do you well. Like, I'm just like encouraging, them. like, even if they're, even if their client isn't right. And if show, it, yeah. Yep. They get that time from me and they get that encouragement from me, but it, it like drastically increases the chances that we'll really consider them when they're like treating us like a human instead of like, Oh, it's easy to email. I will just fire hose them with the same thing I send me everyone.
1: Absolutely. And then they check it off and move on. I pitched for this event. so, yeah, I mean, preaching to the choir here, you should, you should share your strategy. Well, maybe don't share your strategies because that's your secret thoughts. We're listeners here, but um, But yeah, absolutely. It's the people that do their homework and it, it bring, it uh, catches your attention. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, every client for ours, like we are obviously not hosting our own events. Um, you know, it's still the client and we're helping them host their events. And so some of it is their parameters or their goals of, of the agenda, but, um, you know, It is so much more appreciated when you understand when people take the time. And so that's, you know, again, hand in hand, these are where like our sides of the business yin and yang, we understand that. And so for events and conferences that we are pitching to, um, we don't pitch. We, you know, try and get on a call and we start with like, hey, this is what we do. We have a lot of incredible speakers. What kind of speakers are you looking for? Like, would you be willing to jump on a call or can you share more of, you know, what would be helpful to you? And then we can put together more like personalized recommendations. Um, And it's that it's personalized recommendations based on the type of speaker, the type of industry, but also the session topic and title. So every, you know, our goal is to find that balance um, for speaker strategies where it's consistent. So you can kind of understand and see um, the repetition from one event to the next, but it's not repetitive. So it is personalized to that event based on, you know, the topics and the themes that they're looking for based on the audience. But they can say, okay, you know, that's where you start to build that leadership where it's like, oh, this person really knows what they're talking about because I'm seeing them time and time again, um, talking about similar, but you know, unique in, in different things.
0: Uh, it, it, Like, as you're talking, I'm like finding all these analogies to our business. Like, my guess is when you start with that approach and then you only bring those organizers, things that are actually helpful to them, not just helpful to your agency because you got another placement, right? Then yeah. you get this reputation as like, oh, no, they... Like they're not just using me to make their client happy. Like we've right. got one, we've got uh, one boutique PR firm that we say yes to essentially a hundred percent of the people she brings us because yeah. we built this relationship. She brought us high quality people. She knew who we were looking for and she had, that was a good match for her clientele. And it was just like home run after home run after home run to the point we went back to her like, Hey, listen, you can like. Just kind of have like a monthly spot on our show and put whoever you want in because of and and i have faith she's not going to abuse that and and if she, you know if she if did she that does. would stop right yeah but yep. like that's kind of a, like it's kind of a sweet deal for her but she paid the price up front to get to know us and to really make it work for us and now it's like you know it's a cakewalk for her to put somebody yep. on our show right yeah i'm yep. wondering if that's kind of what it's like you you build a reputation with some of these event organizers
1: Absolutely. And that's the that's the place you want to get to. Right. And you actually want to get to to the point where the event organizer is reaching out to us and saying, hey, you know, we have an upcoming spot on whatever next month's podcast recording or next month's webinar or we're planning this event. Who do you guys have? And so, you know, that's kind of how we've created this ecosystem, um, which we say we sit in the middle of. Right. The event organizers um, as our partners and the speakers as our client. And you know, making sure that we continue to build that credibility for ourselves, so people do recognize us as a leader in this space, um, and there's not many people that operate in the space that we do. you know traditional PR firms do it, but it's not something that they necessarily prioritize, and that's why it works really well for us to partner
0: with them and How are you different than like a speaker's bureau or a Lavin agency or somebody like that?
1: Uh, we basically flipped that model reversed, so all of our clients um our earned earned opportunities, the uh, things we give them. So we call earned free, (laughs) fancy way of saying free. So our speakers are unpaid and um, don't receive any type of honorarium for their speaking services. Um, What they get in return is the branding, the visibility, the exposure, the marketing. So uh, again, most of our speakers are um, CEOs, founders, or executives you something something, a company. So they're doing it as a part of their company's marketing or branding strategy. Um, And and that's the payoff that they get. So um, a speakers bureau, I think, great business. Um, I think of more, they are reactive and they get inbound submissions or requests of saying, we want a speaker that can speak to you X or we want this specific speaker to speak at our um, event and here's our budget and here's how it works. They go through their database, they make the match, you know, done deal. we are more proactive where we are representing the speaker, but we're actually researching and finding the right opportunities for them and reaching out to those events and of course, like I mentioned, they are earned opportunities um so that we we uh, describe ourselves as a lot of different things, like I mentioned niche communications agency or niche uh, niche PR agency that does you know very specific things, um but we also say like we're reverse of a speaker bureau um for all those reasons that I just mentioned
0: which has got to help you. Place these people like crazy when events always have a limited right. budget right yeah
1: yeah absolutely and most of the time i mean these you know industry conferences and events um most of their speakers are unpaid um you know i'd say i i'd go out on a limb and say 95 percent of speakers on an agenda are unpaid there's usually one or two really notable keynotes that might be paid um but you know, these are all industry folks that are thought leaders in their space. So they have something to say. They're not necessarily a celebrity celebrity name status. Um, they are people that, you know, like Warren, they're innovators um in an industry or they are disruptors or they are leaders um, you know, in, in whatever industry that they're in. So again, they're not necessarily doing it for um getting paid and for their job, they're doing it for the branding exposure, for the business development, um, for the expansion, for the recruitment, uh, you know, whatever reason is important to them.
0: Which seems like a solid base if later they did want to become a, a professional speaker and make make that later, they've now got yeah. these years of experience and, and you know. And practice, track yeah, record, I right? mean,
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's usually how it happens, right? It, once you get your first paid gig, and um, then you're kind of like oh okay you know i can potentially charge for this so um it it certainly is a business and that's why you know the speaker bureau industry is so successful
0: yeah um what's what's one more piece of advice that maybe i haven't asked about
1: a few things i think you know you have a lot of successful entrepreneurs and founders um on your show and so you know i've learned a lot as a business owner over the past seven and a half years and especially the last 3 years about Building a business effectively, bootstrapping a business, um, building a company culture, and you know what's important and for employees. But I'd say a big thing that we've learned, especially in the last few years, is number one, like planning two to three years out uh, feels irrelevant now, at least for the short time in future. Um, but second, you know, we had to pivot and adapt. We didn't necessarily do as many virtual opportunities or podcasts before. Um, and so once people understood the value of that, we were able to really focus on that as in-person events were shut down the past few years. Um, and people saw a huge value, right? Instead of getting on a plane and spending 36 hours to travel for a 45-minute talk, people can get on and do recording and they can actually have a broader reach because now you have people that are watching from all over the world versus just the people that paid to go to a ticket in person in New York City. Um So the advice here is, you know, the being flexible and pivoting and adapting when you don't think that you can. Um, When events were shutting down, like left and right, it was like, oh no, what do we do? We made our database public and showed every single thing that was happening with every event we've ever worked with. Was it canceled? Was it postponed? Was it moved to virtual? And we kept that updated for people to see. Um, We tried to find additional ways to create value when our biggest value was actually gone and was wiped out from under us, right? As most people, you know, had their, um, world turned upside down in the past few years. So with that, you know, I'm getting through that. I'm so confident now as a business leader, (laughs) um, that we can, you know, not that I want to do it again, but we can survive and we can thrive and adapt to get through almost anything because I don't think, um, that anyone would have predicted, you know, everything that's happened with current events the past few years. So, um, Just like having confidence in yourself to be able to do it, you know, as a first-time founder, I never would have guessed that we'd be able to get out on the other side of everything that we've gone through the past three years. But, you know, excited for us to say at least this, we've come out on top and we've learned a lot and we feel actually a lot stronger for it. Um, And we've had, you know, some new elements and expansion opportunities in our business um, of new offerings or new types of things. Like I mentioned, doing more virtual events and things. Um, that we would have never thought of or would have never had the opportunity to work
0: on before. So, Well, congratulations for surviving something that took out all in-person events. Yes, but
1: uh, IRL is back, so we're excited for that. And uh, it's been a great opportunity. Um, like I said, just a lot to learn.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm a real book nerd. Um, when it comes to books about speaking, you know, like a really simple one, I like is the Brian Tracy book, Speak to Win. Just like very mm. practical, like absurdly practical advice of him doing that thousands of times. Are there any books that you recommend to people or that you like?
1: Not a huge book reader, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I'm not a huge book reader. Okay, I'll give, However, you, I'll give one
0: more. I'll give one more, if you think of one. Or, okay. You, I, I can one. give you one. I can give you one. Okay, let's yeah, uh, like I
1: said, not huge, but there are some um one and this is not just necessarily about speaking, but um about kind of cred's mission and vision and philosophy and just, you know, how I've run a business and I have a great mentor to think for this, but um The book the one thing and just the philosophy of the one thing again goes back to everything that you know the way we built the business and our offering and what we do but when you're thinking of speaking you know like focus on that one thing like what's the one objective that you want people to carry away from your conversation today what's the one thing you want people to remember about you and your talk and i think you know as you write it or as you're preparing for your next um, session think about that because i do think it will be really valuable and you want something that is digestible and memorable for the people to take away. Um, Of course you want the one thing plus your name and how they can look you up. But, um, but, but yeah, so that's a, you know, old classic book that I think um, tells the tale of speaking, but also just life philosophy that um, I'm sure everybody listening has already read. um, But it's a favorite of mine.
0: I literally wrote a LinkedIn post about that book yesterday. oh my
1: gosh no way i swear i I didn't see that
0: (laughs) i i love chapter two about dominoes and then chapter four about the 80 20 principle and then halfway through chapter 10 the like the what's the one thing i can do that make will make everything else easier or relevant like i have to reread that multiple times a month because i'm like the add guy with squirrel who wants to do everything it's like no jess do one domino at a time that leads to the next one that leads to the next one
1: yep tackle my frog and then move on to the next absolutely um I'm going to go uh, review and like and share your post after
0: this. <laughs> um, okay. I'll give one more because this completely changed my limited speaking career. Uh, Presentations in by Gar Reynolds. Do you know that one? Okay. No, I don't. It's this, uh, it's this guy who used to work at Apple. He teaches university in Japan now. And he basically says, like, rethink your presentation. Like, don't put words up there. This idea of, like, one big image, less than five words on a slide. Like the slide is there to enhance your story, not replace you as the presenter. And it's just very intentional, very um, calming approach of like, slow down, do less but better. And uh, and you definitely see this like in TED Talks. And I mean, the book's got to be, I don't know, 13, 14 years old now, still just as applicable as ever. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's like Apple's motto, or Apple's mission of think differently, right? That's where it is it's like, getting people to stop and, you know, think differently or think of like, how can I repurpose this? But you're absolutely right. And it's so funny. We have a lot of people push back on um, having slides, a presentation. Oh, we just want to make it a conversation. Oh, that's great. But you know, it's helpful to have something for people to look at, whether it's an image or one word, you know, what is the key or a phrase? What is the key point that you're trying to own in on? People will resonate and will remember that if they see it as you're talking through it more than if you're, you know, if they're just listening. Um, so I love that. And it, you know, great key principles to think about as you're building your speaking, as you're thinking of getting more into speaking.
0: Well, um, if somebody listening today wants to hire you guys, what's the website?
1: Credpr.com. So C-R-E-D-P-R.com um, will explain kind of how we work and, um, you yeah, know, everything about us as well as, you know, we've got a great blog that puts out some thought leadership tips and, you know, additional resources beyond what we've talked about today. Um, but also LinkedIn, you know, I, um, I love connecting with potential speakers and, um, to chatting, you know, all things events. So, um, my email is Caitlin at credpr.com. I spell it. What I would say is correctly, but not everybody does. So C A I T L I N at credpr.com. I'm sure you'll write that somewhere too, but uh, highly encourage folks to reach out, would love to chit chat and um just talk all things events.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for giving us a peek behind the curtain.
1: Yeah, love it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. You've uh built a great brand, a great podcast, and I just love talking shop because um so much synergy with um our, you know, our conversation today and what you do versus what cred does and and what I do. So um, appreciate the opportunity and very thankful
0: um for your time. Yeah. Okay, bye, bye, everyone.